Well, in second service today, we have a real privilege. We're going to do a dedication service of a couple kids in our church family. And when we do this, since you won't be in the room with us, we'd like to at least show you who those folks are. And I think I have a couple of photos up here. Um, that right there is Parker Hine. Her, his uh, parents are Brad and Liz Hine. And then the next child uh, coming up, this is Sophia. They're cousins, by the way. And Mike and Christy Hess are the parents. And uh, these two grandchildren belong to Barb Gorlitz, a longtime member of our church. And in second service, we're going to celebrate the gift of God. Aren't you glad that God is growing our church family? My favorite path to church growth, right there, babies. So... Uh, be careful. We put stuff in the water around here. I'm just telling you, we like to have kids. Hey, if you have your message notes, you can follow along. Would you go ahead and turn with me, please, to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, I want to start with a verse of Scripture. Here's, here's what our Bible tells us in John 11, verse 21 and 22. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now. Would you say that phrase with me? Even now on the count of three. One, two, three. Even now. There you go. One more time. Even now. Even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So years ago, when Jill and I started having children, one of the things I wanted to be able to do, I wanted to be that dad that built great memories with my kids. And so uh, Jill's family had made uh, a, a, a kind of a, an incredible story of their life together by doing all this traveling and stuff. And my family had done some of that too. And so Jill and I thought we wanted to bring that to our kids. And one of the things we wanted to be able to do was do these camping trips. So when I started having sons, in my mind, I had this dream that what I would do is, is I'd take them camping, we'd gather wood, we'd build fires, we'd sit around and talk about important things. We might have to kill an animal or two with our bare hands. I don't know what I was thinking, but we were going to have a great time. So we bought a tent, got some sleeping bags, gathered a few things together, bought the little sticks that you can put marshmallows on and roast them over. We did the whole thing, and we went camping out in eastern Ohio, and it was picture perfect until nighttime. This is about 12 years ago, so I'm going to tell you how much this next few sentences scarred me. Uh, we set up our tent, and it gets to be nighttime, and Jill and I are sharing a blow-up mattress, which, by the way, wasn't very comfortable, but we were doing it, and I'm all stoked about the experience. And Jill and I are laying under the exact same covers while our kids are in their sleeping bags in the tent. And so I, we're, I'm under the same blanket as her, laying in the exact same place as her. And when I woke up the next morning, I had 18 mosquito bites from my thighs down to my ankles. 18, which was horrible. I was instantly frustrated, a little angry. Not sure at who, it's just where I go sometimes. But here's what really got me. I said to Jill, I'm dying over here. How many bites did you get? You guys want to guess how many bites you got? Exactly. That's about 12 years ago. It's the last time I went tent camping with my kids. Dream dead. I actually said to them, never again, never again will I ever go tent camping with you. But just a few weeks ago, I decided to revive the dream, kind of spontaneously. In fact, I got a couple pictures I'll show you in just a second, all right? So we had taken this little trip to southwest New Mexico. 
I enjoy that area of the country. It's one of my favorite areas of the country. It's high desert, so it's a little arid, but because it's high, the moisture hangs around the ground more, so it's a little more green, and there's lots of mountains. And one day, we had taken a little hike up several hundred feet, and we're overlooking this massive valley. And the kids are saying, this is where we're going to camp, Dad. And I'm like, that's fine. I'll help you get set up. And I'm going to walk back down and get in the car, and I'm going back to the, to the house where we're staying. Because... I'm a man of my word, and I said I was never going to camp again, and integrity is important to me. So uh, they're like, okay, so we're sitting up the tent. We come back down, and we talk to the people who own the property that we're on, and they're like, uh, in the middle of a conversation, she's like, do you have a gun? Huh. Now, we're up against 3.3 million acres of wilderness, undeveloped, completely nobody around. Do you have a gun? So I thought... The next reasonable question would be, why do you ask? She said, well, right up that hill, by the way, where we had just put our stuff, right up that hill just a couple months ago, mountain lions got our dogs. We had to kill. We put down two mountain lions in the same day. And I'm a man of my word. I said I wasn't camping. But I'm about to let my wife and two sons camp in a place where there are active mountain lions. And I thought, I don't know which is a higher value for me. Keeping my word or protecting my family? I don't know. I don't know which way to go here. We borrowed a gun, decided to camp. In fact, let me show you a picture number one here, if you don't mind. This is us um, kind of sitting up. You got those for me, gentlemen? Mm. Nope. Oh, we're a no-go? We're a no-go on the pictures. Very sorry. They're awesome, by the way. I was going to show them to you because I went against my commitment, went ahead and went camping with the kids, Spent the night there, set up the tent, incredible views. It was cold enough, there were no bugs there. Had a great time. It was my willingness to get past the mosquitoes, kind of motivated highly by something I really, really cared about, which was the care and the, uh, the life of my wife and kids. Uh, I really care a lot about that. And so I got past this little hesitance. I'd, I'd been on the same path for a long time. Got past it. Built an incredible memory. Texted my other son uh, in the morning, hey, I actually did this. He's like, no way. I can't believe you actually did a camp out. I slept in one of these little hammocks called an Eno. Eno? Eno. I, I don't know. They're the campers. Slept in this little hammock and uh, had just a great time. And laying in the middle of the hammock in the middle of the night, about 3 in the morning, opened up the hammock, and I look up, and the stars are just incredible. And I had this, this very short thought. I wonder what I would have missed had I not kind of pressed through and experienced something that I probably would have never experienced because I'd had a bad experience before. I would have missed minimally. It may not seem that significant to you. It's a big deal to me, especially as my kids get older. I would have missed just a handful of those memories we made as we built the fire and set up the hammocks and the first time we laid in them, they fell on the ground. Again, proof that camping is somehow connected to devil work, but... Um, <laughs> We fell on the ground. I, I'd have missed a few memories. I, I would have missed laying there with a loaded shot uh, rifle, actually. Uh, and, uh, you know, just kind of cool, feeling like i got to protect the family. I'm listening to the animals all around me. And they, they were all around us. It was kind of incredible. And I would have missed this amazing view, all because 12 years ago, 18 demonic mosquitoes, <laughs> or one very active mosquito, don't know, <laughs> you know, tortured me. Now, that's a really insignificant story, isn't it? But, but, 
You realize that as followers of Jesus, this is true if you've been walking with him for any length of time, things happen in your life's journey, and they hurt. They're not fun. They're disappointing. They don't meet expectations. They cause stress. They leave scars. They itch. They're irritating. Uh, from, from level one irritation all the way up to level 10, can't stand this, things happen to all of us. It's just the nature of being children of God in a fallen world. Jesus said it this way, that you'll be in the world, meaning you're not going to be exempt from this stuff, but I'm going to make you not of the world. And that tension of being in the world but not of the world plays itself out sometimes in disappointment and hurts and bad experiences. In fact, until we get to heaven, that's just the way it's going to be. We're going to have some of those in our lives. Anybody that tells you differently isn't telling you the truth of what the Bible says life is like. Now, we have Jesus with us, and we get up and go, and most of us get up after those events, and we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, or we put ourselves down on our knees, and we talk to God about it, and we keep going. But for many of us, those memories linger. And here's something I've observed about the Christian life. Sometimes, depending on the season you're in, those events can go so deep into your soul. They get anchored so deep in your heart that when you think about the future, when you think about something, anything similar, anything that sounds the same, anything that smells the same, anything that gets close to that kind of experience that you'd rather never have again, sometimes, sometimes we're really hesitant to take that step forward. I mean, sometimes, because that was so ugly, no matter how awesome this looked, we're just a little hesitant to step forward. And that's the nature of what it is to walk with Jesus. He's with us in it, but we're in the world, and the world's dynamic can touch us sometimes. In the little passage that we read, in the little bit of passage that we read, we have the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus. A lot of you who've been around church for a while, you may have heard of Mary and Martha before because they get talked an awful lot about because in chapter 12, the one after this one, Mary and Martha are preparing a dinner for Jesus. And Jesus comes to their house. I preached this sermon. Others have preached this sermon. Maybe you've heard the sermon. And, and one of the sisters, one of the sisters, Mary, puts herself at the feet of Jesus and she listens to Jesus talk. And while she's doing that, Martha's kind of caring for the house and the needs and taking care of the stuff. And the point of the story is, is that it's much better to focus on Jesus than to focus on the stuff of life. Because when you focus on the stuff of Jesus, he takes care of you. When you focus on the stuff of life, sometimes you can miss Jesus. And we preach that story, and Mary is the hero of that story. And Martha's the one who's kind of busy about life. But in chapter 11, we get a different picture. In chapter 11, Martha makes a profound statement. That when we read it out of its context may not strike you, but I want to put it in its context. Here's what happens. Their brother has passed away. Lazarus. He's gone. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus have a close connection to Jesus. So up until this point, they had seen Jesus do miracles. He had opened blinded eyes. He had healed deaf people. The lame walked. He'd even raised somebody from the dead. 
And they were there for that. They saw it. They were connected. They were, and when Jesus would teach, oh my goodness, the words would penetrate their heart. Like it would go from their ears straight to their heart. And they received from Jesus when he would teach the most profound and beautiful truths of God. And it changed everything. They were among the few who believed that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah sent from God, the one and only. They were the faithful. They were in the inner core. Jesus made it a habit of going to their house and having dinner. They had a relationship. Can you imagine what it, was, what it would be like to sit down and have dinner with Jesus? Well, they got to do it a lot. And as far as they could tell, before chapter 11, the future is bright because the Messiah is here. He's in charge. We're connected to him. The overflow of a relationship with Jesus is just showering blessing into our life. And then, all of a sudden, chapter 11 happens and Lazarus has passed. And like, like you would expect, they're heartbroken. So that when Jesus shows up on the scene, Martha actually says to Jesus, Had you been here, my brother would not be dead. One of the things I love about the scripture is the honesty with which the heroes of the Bible engage life and the Lord. I mean, she looks right at Jesus. And if you'll let me paraphrase, I'm not trying to add to the word of God here, but Jesus, I'm a little disappointed you didn't get here earlier. I kind of hoped you would be here. I've seen you do great things for others, but when we needed you... You weren't here. I don't know if you meant all that, but I know that the phrase, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, is not necessarily a positive expression of her warm heart towards Jesus in that moment. At minimally, it's a statement of his faith and power, but probably includes the fact that that faith and power in Jesus, what he could do was available to others, but somehow not available to her in the moment. Somehow she had missed out. Her expectations that had been heightened as she saw God work in other people's lives, that expectation was not met in the moment for her. She was hurt. There was a, a gap. It's a gap that probably she and Mary had talked about. Because in just a few verses later, the Bible tells us that Martha has to go into the house, because Mary wasn't even going to come out and meet Jesus. Martha has to go into the house and ask Mary to come out and say hi to Jesus. And the first thing Mary says when she sees Jesus is, if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. Do you hear the gap between what they had hoped would happen and what actually happened? Do you hear it? Have you been walking with Jesus long enough to be honest enough with yourself? That sometimes our expectations of what we think and want God to do for us doesn't get met in the way, in the timing, through the details of our hopes and expectations. It happens to a lot of us. In fact, if you get enough of those kinds of experiences, sometimes there'll be a an open door in front of you. There'll be an opportunity in front of you. There'll be something beautiful in front of you, something awesome in front of you. And part of you wants to take a step and walk through the door, grab the opportunity, experience the thing, but the hurt, the disappointment becomes like hooks in your back holding you from moving forward. 
This is not just a spiritual dynamic. This is a relational dynamic. This happens in marriages. Hey, nobody gets married. Nobody gets married hoping that one day they'll stand before another judge and dissolve them. Nobody, nobody gets married hoping it ends. You go into it with great expectation and, you know, we're going to do it different than my parents and our friends are struggling, but we're going to... And you go in with such high expectations and then life happens. And the expectations get altered. Sometimes there's some deep pain that happens. And when it does, if it goes deep, if it takes root, you think about what's in front of you and your wife, you and your husband, and you want to. Yeah, you want to bring that kindness back. You want to reignite the flame. You, you, you want to go there again. You want to recapture it. But the hooks have taken hold. And you think about it, you kind of know you want to, and sometimes you come to church and you hear stories of other people who've had things happen to them and you want it to happen to you, but, but it hurts. And it keeps us sometimes, these kinds of times, from pressing in, from going, we're calling this message series, from going all in. What do you do with that stuff? I don't know all the answers to it all. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know that. But in our verse today, and a few things we're going to talk about, we get, a, we get a snapshot of part of how to deal with that. And in fact, in this message series, we're going to talk about this faith dynamic and a few others. And our hope is that between now and Easter, just under 40 days away, that between now and Easter, no matter where you're starting from today, no matter where you are today on your journey, that by the time we get to Easter and we celebrate the greatest event in human history, that our Lord was dead, but he was raised. By the time we get to that day when we celebrate that thing, that your faith has grown. That whatever is holding you has released. That if you've been hesitant at all, if you've been hurt and resistant at all, if you were just ignorant and didn't know there was more, that all of that is met and every single person listening and in this church Take steps towards what it means to be all in in a relationship with Jesus. All in. All the way. And one of the things that's probably going to have to happen for some of us, maybe not all of us yet. Maybe some of you have already worked through some of this stuff. And in fact, if you have, if the kind of dynamic I'm talking about you can't relate to, can I, can I be completely transparent with you? Don't be so selfish as to not listen. Because you have people in your life right now that know you by name and you know their nickname, and they are going through it. And what we're discovering today, if, even if it's not for you, it might be passed through information, passed through truth, that God can use you to lift up somebody else who, while you might be free, they're stuck. And in fact, this is part of the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. You understand why you listen to messages, right? You understand why you open the word of God, right? You don't always do it just for you. That's immature, that's ultimately selfish. All of us begin there, so it's not wrong. It's just wrong to stay there. You listen to messages not just for you. You listen so that God can equip you, sometimes to help other people, so that you're not just a constant receiver and benefiter immediately, but you're a receiver and a benefiter in part so that you can help deposit love and truth and kindness and presence into somebody else's life so they can get it. So even if you're not here in this season of what we're beginning this message series with, I promise you one or the other ones will hit you. 
as we talk about different ways to press in in your relationship with Jesus. We started our year as a church this year kind of asking a simple question. I wonder what it would look like if this year was the year of greatest spiritual growth for you. We've asked our God, our God for the last three years in our church, God, we're not asking you to make us the biggest church. We're asking you to make us the healthiest church. And that's not just a corporate prayer. It's a prayer for you. I'm not asking God to give you every desire of your heart that is unfiltered by his spirit and not tempered by your deep understanding of what he really wants for you. I'm not asking that for you. What I'm asking is that God would grow your heart for him, grow your love for him so that you have a greater passion and greater motivation to follow him like never before. The greatest prayers I do for you as a pastor as I go through the prayer requests and I think about our church and I spend my first several minutes in my chair kind of reading the word of God every day and praying for you is not that God just meets your needs, but that he grows your heart for him, that you have the capacity and the desire to go all in with Jesus. That you have these moments, like in church, where you get information that sometimes sets you free and other times becomes tools in your tool belt and you use them to help lift up others, to help set them free. In the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus, it was that phrase that I had you repeat. Let's look at it one more time. John 11, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Even now. Martha had a even now kind of faith. Let's talk about Mary for a second. Chapter 12, Mary, you can read it when you get home. Read chapter 11 and 12. You see everything I'm saying is true. I don't have time to read all the passages to you, but Mary is going to have in chapter 12 an after that kind of faith. After that. You might want to write that down. It's not in your notes. Mary's going to have an after that kind of faith. God is going to do so, something so profound in chapter 11 that the Mary that wouldn't even come out of the house to talk to Jesus, the Mary that when she first sees Jesus says to him, if you had been here, we wouldn't be going through this. If you had showed up, we could have prevented all this. We would not be in pain had you kept your end of the deal. That happens in chapter 11 with Mary. But after that, after Jesus does this profound thing in chapter 12, you find Mary seated at the feet of Jesus, soaking up everything he has to say. Chapter 11 so changes her <laughs> that when she gets to chapter 12, she just wants more of him. She moved from this disappointed place to this all-in place. And in chapter 12, here's what Jesus says about Mary. What she wants to know the things of God, to press into the things of God, to have an intimate connection with God, what she wants will not be withheld from her. She's going to get the desire of her heart because her heart had shifted. She had changed. She had gone all in. Mary has an after that, after God does this profound kind of thing, kind of faith. And there's nothing wrong with an after that kind of faith. I, I want to ask you a question real quick. I don't always ask for a lot of participation, but I'm, I'm going to do it right now for just a second. How many of you would say that you have direct personal experience with the miraculous move of God in some way? So one more time, you've seen God with your own eyes. You know the details and you've seen God do something in your life or somebody else that you know personally, 
and you can't deny that you've actually seen a miracle. How many people would say you've seen that happen? Good. All right, put your hand down. Yeah. So you know God has the power. You've seen him do stuff. Now, don't raise your hand on this one. But no, that might be too painful. How many of you are hoping, like you're right now in a season, and you're hoping that the same God that showed up in that thing that you know that you can't deny, you, you believe it's true, it actually happened, God does do miracles, you saw it? How many of you are hoping, like you're in a season, and you kind of want that to happen right now? You don't have to raise your hand. But you kind of, yeah, you want that thing now in your situation. You want him to do it again for you now because you're there. I bet you, I bet you, if a handful of us were honest, the truth is what we'd say is, is you might use your own words. Maybe you'd have been in a church that allowed you to talk like this before. That's okay. When we put the slogan, real love now over our door, that word real for us is not a pretend word. We value authenticity and honesty here. We think truth still sets people free. And the first truth you have to tell often is the truth to yourself. How many people would say, don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand. The truth is, is I'm a little disappointed. I've been a little hurt. I've been holding back a little bit because of some of the stuff that happened and some of the expectations that weren't met and some of the ways God's people have acted and some of the, if I were 100%, even some of the things that God's not done that I really wanted him to do. Hey, if that's you at all, believe it or not, there are people in the Bible, we're still reading about them today, and the same thing has happened to them. But I want to tell you God's heart on this matter. He wants to touch your heart and your mind so that instead of being held back by the grip of those experiences and memories, you go ahead and step all the way in with him. Mary had an after that kind of faith. I, I, I hope that happens to you, but for today, I want you to think about a different kind of faith. It's not an after that kind of faith. It's an even still kind of faith. It's a in the middle of it, and it hasn't happened yet, kind of faith. It's exactly worded this way in Martha's statement. It's an even now kind of faith. The situation hasn't changed, but Jesus, as disappointed as I am, and I'm honest, I, I'd like more. Even now, I know the Father will give you whatever you ask. There's an after that kind of faith. I get it. I've been there. It's not bad. It's very, very good. Because some people have miraculous things happen to them and see God's hand move, and they don't ever connect the dots. They don't even get an after that kind of faith. But it could be today that the kind of step forward you have to do is an even now kind of faith. Lazarus is in the tomb. It's been four days. The flowers are already wilting. There's no body uh, preservation system. There's no refrigeration. They don't, they're not embalming people. So at four days, Martha's going to say it to Jesus. He already stinks. I mean, the body's already decaying. And in the middle of that reality, they've been grieving for a while. It's as real as real can be. There is no changing it. But somewhere down deep in Martha, she's able to say, but even now, I wonder, I wonder if the lies of your enemy that wants to make God small, wants to rob you of his plan for your life, 
that wants to keep all good things from God away from you. I wonder if the liar, the father of lies, the one who deals in darkness has been successful at all to convince you that you do not serve an even now kind of God. I want to remind you today, you serve an even now kind of God. That no matter what you're going through, and in fact, the reason we sing about how great God is so often from this stage, there's a lot of songs we can choose. Our favorite songs to go to are the ones that make us not just look at the world in front of us, but remind us, lift your eyes a little bit, lift your head, look up into the heavens and see the grandeur, not of the heavens, but of the one who made the heavens, how big he is, how he is the God of even now. Well, what I'm praying for for you today is that whatever is holding you back from taking that step towards God all the way, whatever your step is, that it is released, that the chains are broken. Those painful memories, those things that happened to you, those disappointments that set in, those unmet expectations, whatever it is, those harsh words, the prayers not answered the way you wanted them to be answered. Whatever prevents you from going all in. Some of you, some of you, you're in a sweet spot right now. Like your life spiritually is vital. It's flourishing. Well, I'm talking right now. If that's you, just don't make a big scene about it. But right now, I'm just calling you for that, that are going through that right now. I'd ask you to begin to pray for your brothers and sisters that are listening, that are sitting in this room. That's not true for them. And this is how we help each other. This is how we lift each other up. A few weeks ago, I was having dinner with a wonderful couple. Uh, Jill and I like to go to dinner with them because uh, when we do, um, we always leave encouraged. We just always leave encouraged. But the specific reason we wanted to meet with them is because a few weeks ago, I was walking out the door, and uh, this, this woman of God says to me, Pastor, I'm praying for you. Whatever you're going through, I want you to know God's got it. I forget the exact words. That's what I heard. And it was one of those right now, right-timed words. I'd been praying through some stuff. I was kind of wearing it heavy, hoping none of you saw it. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. doesn't really matter. I knew it. And I know me. I'm the way I'm wired, the way a lot of you are wired. Even if I'm a little whatever, I'm going to go ahead and press through. I mean, I was raised, you get up and you keep going. And that's not bad advice, by the way. You keep going. And what's true today is likely to change over time anyway. I mean, this too shall pass and all that stuff. But this one was holding on. But when she said that, something in me just, I don't, I don't know, I don't want to like exaggerate. I, I really try not to exaggerate. When I'm, I don't want to lie for God to impress you, all right? I just don't want to do it. It's a big deal to me. But something in me, the only word I know how to get is, is like it skipped, like, like a kid skipping down the road. Something in me, just in that exact moment, went, whew, whew. No, it didn't change anything. But I heard God say to me, I know, I haven't forgotten. Nothing shifted. Went to dinner, thanked them for being them, talked about life, pretty transparent, still got to deal with it. But I was reminded in the minute, in that exact moment, that God is the God of even now. 
And I want to be crystal clear with you. He is. No matter what's going on in your marriage, you serve an even now God who has a hope, an ambition, a plan, a desire, and it is good for you. When you get bad news from the doctor, you serve an even now kind of God. And he's done something in your life. He's put something inside of you. Here's the way I like to think about it. It's a way of just kind of putting a word around this thing that God wants to do. I like to think about it this way, that a, that a musician has a score that he or she follows when they're playing the music. An architect has a blueprint that says, here's the concept. We're going to follow the plan, and that's going to happen. Uh, a football team gets together, and the quarterback calls the play. They have a, a huddle, and then they get on the field and do it. And for the Christian, God's given you a, a dream, a kingdom dream, if you will. On a macro level, it's all the stuff that God wants to do in your life and the legacy he wants to build in you. The faithfulness over time that speaks volumes to the people you do life with. And even after you're gone, it speaks two and three generations later. It's a dream on a macro level. On a smaller level, it's a dream about the individual pieces of your life that while your marriage is going to be in the world, but it, it doesn't have to be of the world. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be defined only by worldly dynamics. It can be infused by the Spirit so that when you have conflict, you can remember you serve an even now kind of God. And he shows up so that the conflict gets dealt with differently than those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a micro dream component of the big dream that God wants to do that says, as a parent, you can make a lasting spiritual impact on your children's life. And while you can't pull them out of the world, that's foolish, we've tried, it doesn't work. You can remind them that in the world, they serve an even now kind of God that is faithful and good and can be dependent upon. And if they follow him with their whole heart, life will be better for them because it will be God-honoring. It's micro part of the big thing God wants to do in your life. It can involve ministry and impact on people in your community. And God gives us these visions. They're not selfish. They're part of the good gift of God that he wants to give us. And then life happens. And we find ourselves renegotiating. Some of that's normal and some of that's good even. It's healthy to process again in light of where we are, where we want to go. So long as that processing doesn't keep you from taking your steps towards Jesus. This is where the enemy is sometimes so effective. He puts those hooks in you. And you still want it. It still is painful. But you're hesitant now. Because the last three times you tried, it didn't work out the way you wanted it to work out. Today... As we launch all in and we get ready for Easter and all that God wants to do, I want to remind you that God doesn't have small dreams for you. And look at Ephesians chapter 2, 10 in your message notes. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's so much in that one verse. There's good things that God has prepared in advance for you to do. So before you got to where you are today, God had prepared somewhere in the past for you to have good things today. Good works. 
kind of a catch-all term for all the awesome stuff God's going to do in you. Not good works that earn a relationship with Jesus, but because you have a relationship, the grace of God flowing through your life and working in you in an imperfect world to, to move forward, to propel his good work through your life. But that's not really the phrase I want to focus on in that passage. For we are God's handiwork. I, I hated Greek growing up. I hated it. I hated it when I had to take it in college. I hated Greek in seminary. I felt like I shouldn't even do the Bible because all the good people quote Greek all the time. So I quote Greek just enough to make you think I'm good at what I do. So I'm going to do it right now for you. Here we go. The word handiwork. Poema. Poema in the Greek. The original language of the New Testament in Greek. Poema. You know what English word we get from that? Poem. For you are God's poem. You are God's handiwork. One version says, and it's true, you are God's masterpiece. Now, when the hooks are in you, and the dream is deferred, and you're thinking about taking an alternative course, you don't feel like a masterpiece. You don't feel like poetry. But that's what you are. That's what I am. That's what every child of God is. We are God's handiwork. Look at this. Not in your own power, but created in. Here, here's the key. Christ Jesus to do the good stuff he's called you to. So when we talk about going all in with Jesus, I don't know what picture you have in mind, but it is not the, I guess I got to go all in with Jesus. I don't really want to, and I've been resisting it, and it sounds horrible, but okay, I want to go to heaven, I guess. No, no, no. This is the masterpiece of your life, and it's intricately connected to you going all in with Jesus because it's created in you through Christ Jesus. Hey, you don't have the power. I don't have the power and the strength to do it on my own. Look at Paul again, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 9. However, as it is written, look, look at how deep this goes. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things of God, the things God has prepared for those who love him, those, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So the deepest mysteries of spiritual life, these are the things that God wants to work in you. And it's even hard to think about it. It's hard to conceive it. If you were to really see this heart, it would blow you away. In fact, you're not really understanding what I'm saying if the idea of the dream that God has put in your heart, when you think about it, doesn't scare you a little bit. It's bigger than you. You know intuitively you can't do it on your own. You know, intuitively, at minimally, the stars are going to have to align and all the favor is going to have to come to you because otherwise it ain't going to happen. I mean, have you seen the state of marriage in our country lately? In our community, among your friends? It ain't pretty. It's a horrible year to get married. But don't wait if you're thinking about it because if you wait, it's going to be worse next year. I'm telling you, that's just the way marriage goes. That's just the way it goes. So you can't do it on your own. I've had friends say to me, I don't want to raise kids in a world like this. The world's so broken, I don't want to raise I get that, man. It scares me to death. But the things, the deep things of God that he puts into the heart of my children, into my heart for them, and into the heart of a place like this for our kids. One of the reasons I love doing child dedications is, is we have no idea how good and awesome it is. Our minds can't wrap our hands around it. That's why we're so susceptible to the lies of the enemy. I'm going to give you four ways. Four things that can prevent you from living this dream that God's called you to. You're going to be able to connect with one or two of them. These are not complicated, so we won't spend any real time here. Number one is fear. You'll never become who God's called you to be 
and do what he's called you to do if you don't face your fears. Yeah, they may hurt you again. They might. You may get disappointed again. You may experience loss again. Possible. You, you may try and fail several times. At least it feels like failure, depending on how you define failure. Fear is a real thing. But people that accomplish great things for God must fight through their fears because the reality is that God has never asked anyone to do anything that was easy with the exception of giving your life to him. That's not something you do. You just receive what was done for you. So your marriage, if it's going to be in the world but not of the world, it's going to require some real effort. And the enemy of your soul wants you to get to a point where you just don't want to do it. If you're going to live holy and righteous and pursue God and you're in high school, I'm telling you, if you're going to be in this world but not of this world, it's going to require some real effort. There's going to be some vulnerability. There's going to be some missteps along the way. And fear can grip the heart. I look at our culture at large. One of the reasons we sing songs about fear being broken around here is I think it's one of the number one demotivators in the life of a Christian. I'm afraid, so afraid, I won't even try. If I don't try, I can't fail. Number two, four things that prevent you from living the dream. Number two is people, people, people. So I like to remind you sometimes that Jesus never called us to follow his people. He called us to follow him. That's good news. If you follow his people, good luck with that. You set your eyes on a person be honest with you, you watch me close enough, I'm going to disappoint you. I'm a horrible Jesus. God reminds me regularly I'm a horrible Holy Spirit. I've tried to convict people of their sin, bring them to repentance. doesn't work. They just don't like me for it. I'm horrible at it. So don't focus on me. No? Hey, to the degree I follow Christ, as Paul said, I love it when he, as I follow Christ, follow me. I love that. So as long as I'm following Jesus, follow me. It's all good. The moment I lose, focus on Jesus again. Right? People. Let me give you a couple comments about people. A little, little phrase, a little idea here. Never take dance instructions from a person who just stands against the wall and does nothing but criticize those who are trying to stay in rhythm. Right? Criticism is the enemy of the work of God. Now, I'm not talking about criticism that has a heart for good and we're sitting in a healthy environment and there's some feedback. All feedback is a gift. Absolutely. Absolutely. But some people have a critical heart and a critical spirit and those people should be silenced in your heart. Even if their words penetrate your ears, they should not find a place in your heart. And if we're not careful, we'll let people who are not even following Jesus shape our thoughts about our lives. Number three, procrastination. Can I be honest with you, one day for most people never comes because in their minds, one day is when everything is in place and doing what God has called them to do doesn't require any real step of faith at all. I'll do it one day when the stars align. I'll do it one day when it's all there. I'll do it one day when it's impossible for me to fail. But it never comes. And I want to remind you what I've had to tell my kids a hundred times. And if we're truly the sons of our Father in heaven... If we're truly the daughters of our Father in heaven, delayed obedience is disobedience. And God doesn't speak to hear himself talk, and his words are not to be considered, but they're to be obeyed. You want to go all in with Jesus? Start with what you already know and aren't doing. 
Start with your current disobedience and get obedient there and watch your faith grow by leaps and bounds. It's not so much that you need a new word. I get tired of the new word. I got a new word. Good. I got an old word. It's called the Bible, but good. You got a new word. Follow Jesus with where you are. Get in his word and let him speak to you. And number four, underestimation. Underestimation. If God has called you, then he's also promised to equip you, and he will sustain you. He didn't call you because you're able. The truth is, is you and I are nothing more than common jars of clay that he wants to mold and shape and use for his glory. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will, not, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father in heaven good give, give good gifts to those who ask him? This is his heart for you. And if you've been hesitant for whatever reason, between now and Easter, we're calling you to go all in. Here's one big way we're doing that. Uh, this church building will be open every day, 7 a.m. through the week. And if you have time, you can come into this building and you can pray. There's no program for two hours. You got 10 minutes? Do it for 10 minutes. If you can't come in, find time. But we wanted to so highlight the power of prayer that we decided, the staff team decided, we would come in, open the building, get here earlier than our day begins, and we would bathe this season in prayer. That we would get our hearts ready for all that God wants to do so that at Easter, when we celebrate the greatest event in human history, our hearts would be prepared and primed by prayer to receive whatever God has for us. So that's an opportunity for you. I'm going to give you a couple more steps to take, so why don't you grab out your Connect card, and let's, uh, let's do that together as a congregation. I've been talking about this dream that God has for you, but the truth is, is the, your first step today, if you don't have a relationship with him, is to get in a relationship with him and let him give you that deposit of his spirit in your life. To, the Bible says, give you a new birth, to save you, to wash you clean. It uses all kinds of language to describe that fresh start that Jesus does. If you want to do that today and begin a relationship with Jesus, take that pen and check next step A. In a moment when the offering bucket comes by, put it in there, and we'll communicate with you about what it means to be a child of God. But in just a second or two, we're going to bow our eyes, or bow our heads and close our eyes. And I'm going to give you a chance to do some serious work with God. To agree with what the Bible says about all of us, that you're a sinner. I know it's not pretty, but it's true. You're a sinner and you can't save yourself. So God sent a Savior. And that Savior, Jesus, died on a cross, was resurrected. And through that work that Jesus did in the cross and resurrection, you and I have a portal, a pathway, a door to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. We trust what Jesus did, not what we did. I'm going to give you a chance to pray about that. Or next step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. You want to be baptized? The way you begin that here is you check the box. And we celebrate when we take you under the water that you are dead to your old self. You are crucified with Christ. And you are raised to new life with him. And that water runs off of you and it symbolizes the washing and the cleansing of your soul and your life and set for purpose by God. If you haven't done that, check the box. We'll start that conversation with you. Next step, C says, I want to memorize Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's poema, his handiwork, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'll hide your word in my heart, the Bible says, so I might not sin against you. And now, next step, D. I'll go in, I'll go all in this week by committing to 15 minutes of prayer a day. 
15 minutes of prayer a day. We're opening this place. You'll get an email if you take any bold step today about that opportunity. You can show up here. You can do it at home. But let's bathe this season in prayer and see what God wants to do. Next step E. If you have guests that have been coming, if you are guests next Sunday after each service, we have a Meet the Pastor event where you get to meet me, my wife, some of our staff members. That's going to happen right out these doors and to the right. You just come to service. When it's over, you go out the doors, turn to the right. There's signs. I'd love to meet you and tell you about how our church would love to serve you. I want you to set that card aside. If you call this church home, I want to give you an opportunity to give back to the ministry here. I saw a beautiful thing yesterday. As a pastor, there are moments that make you so proud of what God is doing. No pride in me, all the glory to him. I saw a beautiful thing yesterday. Many of you know that Pastor Melissa's father passed away. And so there were a lot of us at the uh, memorial service yesterday. People got together and there were tears and hugs and kind words and prayers and songs sung. There was lunch, all the stuff you do. But there was something else that happened. I saw people that don't share any DNA treat each other like family. People whose families biologically are messed up. But in that place, for that time, there was a lot of love and connection. That's what God does in the church. That's why when you give something temporary like money, God uses it to do eternal things like build a family that isn't going to be damaged by an in-the-world kind of reality. One day, God's going to take that family, he's going to perfect it, and we're going to spend eternity together, and we're all going to get along. And we get a glimpse of that when church is healthy right here, right now. So I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for supporting a church through your prayers, through your serving, through showing up, through giving, and letting us get a little foretaste of heaven and the family that God's creating right here, right now. It's a real joy to serve you. It's a real joy to see God do his profound work in our congregation, and our family. Let's pray and take our next steps in our offering before the Lord. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for Jesus. God, I want to boldly ask you right now to revive kingdom dreams. Where the enemy has been successful to speak lies, I pray that you would speak your truth over it. It would speak louder. It would drown out the lies. It would speak life. There would be true spiritual revival that would begin to happen. God, as we set our hearts to reflect on the greatest event of human history, the rising of your son from the dead, I pray, God, that any holding back we're doing would give way to the forward momentum of your spiritual work in our life. I pray that for each person listening, for each person in the room, but God, I pray for those members of our family who have drifted away and they haven't thought for a long time about the dream that you put in their heart. I pray that you would call them back by your spirit. They'd once again re-engage. They would be reminded that the dream you put in them, that you're the God who can meet, exceed, superly overwhelm their simplest expectation. You're that kind of God. So, Lord... We offer to you now our next steps. We offer to you our offerings. And we ask you, Father, to take them far and wide for your good purpose and to work good in our life. And I lift up the men and women that are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. 
cover me by your shed blood. I can't save myself. So I trust you. I trust in you alone to save me. I want to be your child. We give it all to you in your strong and mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.